Let's grab our Bibles. Uh, speaking of Bibles, if you don't have one with you, just raise your hand and uh, we'll get you one. Uh, and if you don't have one of our bulletins, that's going to be helpful because there's sermon notes in the back. So if you don't have a Bible with you or a bulletin, just raise your hand. We'll get it to you. And also speaking of Bibles, let me ask you a question. Where does the authority to proclaim what God says comes from? Where does the authority to bind a conscience, to say, thus saith the Lord, where does that come from? Does it come from me? No, you know better than that. You know me. Does it come from being two feet taller than you right now? No. Some of you have people who are two feet taller than you just standing on the floor next to you, right? Especially in this church. We have giants in this church. Where does it come from? It comes from Scripture. It from, comes from God's Word. That's the only place that we will find the authority to proclaim God's message to us. What if I told you, though, what if I told you that I knew a story about Jesus that probably happened and that was very interesting? Um, could I preach that? I might be able to use it as an illustration, maybe. And maybe we could teach some biblical truths that that story maybe helped illustrate. But does it have the same authority that God's Holy Scripture has? This is the talking part. You can, you can yep, all right. You can just shout it out. You can just go like this. No, it does not. And so we're going to get a chance to look at that. We're going to get a chance to look at that next week. Because there's a story that almost everybody knows about Jesus. That's not actually in Scripture, but it probably happened. And, and in fact, it's bracketed in your pages uh, in the following passage. It's bracketed in your pages because it's a story that almost everybody knows about Jesus, and it probably did happen. But does it, is it the same as Scripture? No, it is not. And so next week, I will not preach it. I will preach something else. I will preach about God's Word, and we'll talk about that story. It's going to be very interesting. If that intrigues you, I'll see you in a week. All right? Today, open your Bibles to John chapter 7, verses 25 through 52. We'll be in John chapter 7, verses 25 through 52. And the title of the message this morning is, Let Christ Have His Rightful Place. Let Christ have His rightful place. Now, it's a little bit of a play on words. A little bit of a play on words, because what you'll find is that this passage is all about Christ's origin, as in the place he came from, his rightful place, and, and has gone back to his rightful place. But when we say, let Christ have his rightful place, we mean something a, a, a little different. But they're very related. They're very related. The fact of the matter is, I could go over to Harvest Kids right now 
and grab any one of those kids, age two and up, and ask them where Jesus came from, and they would tell me. And they would say, he's the second person in the Trinity, he's God the Son, he came, was born of a virgin, he was born in Bethlehem, according to the scriptures, he came to die for sins, and he's ascended to the hand of the Father. And I'd say, very good. Because that's, that's what we do back there, right? We learn about Jesus. And I could probably ask you, where did Jesus come from? And you could tell me, but here's the thing. Even though we know about Christ's origin, I'm deeply convinced that it doesn't rattle us nearly as much as it should. That is to say, if we rightly grasped his origin, we would rightly grasp his authority. If we knew about Christ's rightful place, he would have his rightful place in our lives. It would be a matter of adoration. You say, okay, well, okay, I know where Christ comes from, and I know his rightful place in my life. I know the idea of living in worship of the Lord. But, you know, I'm, I'm generally looking for something super practical from the Bible. And, and, and if we're going to spend 27 verses looking at the origin of Christ, that doesn't sound very practical. And I would say maybe. But the fact, of the, man, the fact of the matter is, well, let me just quote Paul David Tripp. Uh, we're having a, a, a classes that have started uh, this evening, uh, training people for biblical counseling, and one of the preparation articles was an article by Paul David Tripp, and he wrote this fantastic sentence. He said this, There is a danger that we would see the gospel as more therapeutic than adorational. There's a danger that we would see the gospel as more therapeutic than adorational. It's the first time I ever heard that word adorational, and I'm taking it forever now. Adorational. You see, the fact of the matter is, our adoration is very practical because it's our adoration that sets all of our practices. And if we would see him in his origin, he'd be in his rightful place. And when Christ is in his rightful place, he sets everything else in its rightful place. So let's read together. Let's read together this passage. It's 27 verses. It's going to be quite a bit of reading. And so as we go, I'm going to encourage you to uh, get out your pen and mark up our Bibles. We, I said this last week. We mark up our Bibles here. It's like mud on a Jeep. You're proud of it, right? <laughs> and, and here's what you can be looking for. You can circle... As we repeat words about origin or location or destination, like come from or sent by or going to, right? You can see that the passage is about that. So you can also circle question marks, passages full of question marks. There, I, I don't know that I know a passage that's more marked by confusion. It's a perfect description of confusion. You can see it all throughout the passage just based on the number of question marks. And then the other thing I'd like you to be looking for as we read is I'd like you to be looking for the obstacles in people's hearts that arise when it comes to receiving what Christ has to say about himself. The obstacles, the heart obstacles that are there. The heart obstacles. So, let's look for that. Looking for origin slash location words as well as question marks and heart obstacles. Read along with me if you would. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Verse 25, is this 
not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? There's a couple of question marks right there. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, in a certain sense. But I have not come of my own accord. That is to say, in the real sense. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, because no, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. When John uses the word his hour, Christ's hour, he's always talking about Christ's crucifixion. Yet many of the people believed in him and they said when Christ appears will he do more when the Christ appears will he do more signs than this man has done Now the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about him these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him Jesus then said I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me You and you will not find me for where I am you cannot come the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Now on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. See, the feast is the Feast of Booths. Uh, it's, uh, it's the most popular Jewish feast festival of the time. And it, it also included water ceremonies and light ceremonies uh, that took place, especially on the last day. So he's, th this uh, mention of water is not coming out of nowhere. It's part of the ceremony there. And this mention of light that comes up in the next passage, right? I'm the light of the world. It's not coming out of nowhere either, Right? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have I mentioned before how much John likes irony? Right? Who's deceived here? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Puh. 
Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You see all that? All that talk about origin, right? All that talk, all that confusion, and the heart obstacles that were in place, and I would argue, and I believe Scripture presents to us, are in place to avoid receiving who Christ is and letting him have his rightful place. What hard, hard obstacles did we observe? What did you see as we read? Here's one. Here's one I'd give you. I'll put it this way. Get over what you think you know. Get over what you think you know and let Christ have his rightful place. I mean, here's what John shows us right here in verses 25 through 31. People who think they know some things. And that's exactly the obstacle. Right? right? They're clearly confused. They say, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? They're confused. Nevertheless, they latch on to what they think they know. Have you ever noticed that it's the people who are the most confused that are also the most certain about the things they think they know? Oh, you know them too, huh? All right. Oh, getting hot up here. <laughs> oh, so confused, but they think they know, right? Let's be careful that's not us, right? What do they think they know? What do they think they know? You can see right there in verse 27, they think they know where Christ is from, right? We, we, we know where this man comes from, right? They think they know. They think he comes from Galilee, right? They don't know he comes from Bethlehem. Furthermore, they don't know that he comes from God. And not only that, they think they know that no one's supposed to know where the Christ comes from. Well, they got that wrong, but they think they know. They think they know. And Christ launches from that into what's really important, where he's really from and why it matters. Because, what does it say? In verses 28 and 29, what does it say? Because they don't know God. Right? He who sent me is true, and him you don't know. And he's their hope. He's their hope. And then they go nuts. Why? Because they can't get over what they think they know. They think they know God. And they think that for Christ to say he's sent from God is blasphemy. Never mind that it's the truth, the literal gospel truth. And they go nuts. They go nuts over those two things. Those are the two things that people always went nuts over and tried to arrest him, right? That's verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him. No one laid a hand on him. Yet, some, some humbled themselves a little bit. Some sort of poured a little out of the I think I know cup to let a little room in there for maybe. I mean, after all, when the Christ comes, well, 
Will he do more signs than this? I mean, they could have asked, uh, well, when the Christ comes, won't he say we need to know God better? I suppose so. And when the Christ comes, I mean, doesn't it make sense that he would come from God? But this is what they like. This is as far as they go. Will, Will he do more signs than this? John uses the word believe, right? He uses the word believe here. He actually uses the word believe a lot of different ways. It's one of the key themes of the book of John. He uses the word believe to indicate false belief, right? They believed on him and then then they left. And he uses the word believe to indicate true belief. And he uses it in the way that he uses here, which I think is what he's saying is sprouting belief, Right? They let a little out to let a little in. They cracked the door to the possibility this may be the Christ. Because that's the thing about when you think you know, right? I can't remember where I first heard the metaphor, the analogy. Like You cannot fill a cup that's already full. If I had a cup of antifreeze right here and I wanted to pour milk out of a jug into it, it's full. Nothing else can go in there you got to empty it before you can fill it. You think you know. You think you know. Humble yourself and let go of what you think you know. And take Christ at his word. Some of, you, some of you have never let Christ have his rightful place. And you think you know God because you're like, of course I know God. Everybody knows God. I mean, God's just, God's just there, and here I am, and here's everybody. So who doesn't know God? Yet here are the people to whom God had given these promises, to whom God had given his word, to whom God had sent his son, to who, whom he had chosen to know him, and the Son of God shows up and says, you don't know him. How much more do you think you don't know him? Unless you know him. Oh, everybody knows God. Oh, you think you know God? You think you know some of the Bible? I mean, here you are in church. Here you are. But believing in faith that Christ is God, having entered the world and died for your sins and believing in him that you would hand your life over to him, that has not happened. And the biggest obstacle, you won't get over what you think you know. Some of you, some of you, you you know Christ, and you know his rightful place, and he has been at some points in his rightful place, but for the most part, you have come to the actual belief, the functional faith that Christ's rightful place is in the church thing, the early morning Bible thing, and Christ's rightful place really doesn't have much to do with real life. Right? I I believe in Jesus, and all of those things I believe are true, but I, I don't know that he, he really has much to do with real life and my whole life and everything. I, I've let him into the house, but I got some rooms that 
Nobody goes in, actually. <laughs> Least of all, Jesus. Right? And you think you know that he, he doesn't really belong there. That he belongs here. But in real life, I mean, really, what difference would it make? How could I practically live that out? But if Christ would be put in his rightful place, blow those doors down, and let him in, his rightful place is all of it. And if Christ would be put in his rightful place, get over what you think you know about how practical it is, if, you, if Christ would be in his rightful place, he would put everything else in its rightful place. Adoration really matters. So what else, what other hard obstacles did we observe as we read through this? Well, there's this one for sure. You got to grab hold of what has actually been said. Grab hold of what has been said. Verses 32 through 36 show it. It's amazing how many people and how, how even I can block out the clear words of Christ and the clear words of Scripture just they just they just pass me up because I I it I, I'm not grabbing hold of them. Right? Christ made another claim about his origin and his plans to return to the Lord, return to God the Father, and he's warning these people that the opportunity is closing. And, and they look on and they say, well, huh, what does he mean? What does he mean he's going to go someplace where we can't find him? Is he planning a road trip? Is he going to leave the country? Is he going to go someplace else? Like, these are the people, right? What does it say? The Pharisees who are connected to the temple, right? These are the Pharisees who sent officers to arrest him, right? So these are the same dudes that a few chapters ago already got upset with Christ's claim to be of the Father, Right? God the Father is my Father. And they've already, they've already, the whole unit starts with, and they were seeking to kill him. Right? Right? So the claim should not pass them up. These are the authorities, right? Verse 30, 35 says, these are the Jews. That's what John usually calls the authorities. But when he says, I'm going back to the one who sent me, just like, like I didn't even hear it. He must mean something else. He must mean something else. Here's the principle. If we grasp who Christ is, we can grasp what he's said. If we won't grasp what he said, we won't grasp who he is. Just doesn't, doesn't stick what Scripture has to say doesn't stick until we see him for who he is, by his grace. By his grace. It's like me with instructions and YouTube. i got to have both. I cannot read these instructions and trust them and believe them until I've seen it on YouTube. Yes, it actually works that way. And then I can go back to the instructions and say, I believe you. And I'm not alone, and that makes me very happy. <laughs> I feel so much better. In the first service, they did not let me off the hook that easily. 
There's like one guy, he's like, I know what you're talking about. If we grab hold of what Scripture actually says, Christ would be in his rightful place. Scripture says, what does Scripture say? He says, he's Lord. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. No spare rooms. No set-asides. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's Lord of all. And Scripture says, he is the sacrifice for your sins. Will you grab hold of what has been said? He is the sacrifice for your sins. You think your background is so dirty that he can't forgive you? He came from God to do that. He can do it. You think you're so broken that he can't use you? He came from God. He can use you. You think that you have to earn your... It's been so bad. It's been so neglectful. You've been so wasteful. You've been so... You've been like that. So much that you have to earn your way back into God's favor. Christ came from God that you would not even think that, that you could do that because you can't and you won't and you don't have to. Christ has done it all. He has earned your place before the Lord and you can't earn your way into God's favor. You can receive it by faith and walk in faith. He came from God. He can do that. Grab hold of what has been said, and let Christ have his rightful place. Well, what's the third heart obstacle we saw as we read through here? Well, you have this, you have this incident, right? In verses 37 through 39. And what we see is we're going to have to run forward to his offer. Run forward to his offer and let Christ have his rightful place. Right? Verses 7, 37 through 30 and 38 and 39, that sh they show the last day there at the festival, the Feast of Booths, and there's, there's water ceremonies and there's light ceremonies. And it's a solemn assembly. It's a solemn assembly. I, just, I want you to imagine just being there for a minute. It's like a wedding, it's joyful but it's solemn, right? And this whole ceremony and festival is celebrating the fact that God has provided for his people all that they need, and they can trust God to provide all that they need. Materially, right? It's kind of like at harvest time. Materially, but it also points to the fact that they can trust God for all that they need spiritually. And God has told them, I want you to do this to commemorate this and to remind you that I will provide all that you need, even your deepest need. And standing there in the crowd is God who told them to commemorate this this way, who knows what they need. And in the middle of the solemn assembly, 
It's like God just can't take it anymore. And he shouts out, if anybody thirsts, come to me. Come to me. And what do they do? Well, when they heard these words, verse 40, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, ah, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Isn't the Christ to be born in Bethlehem, the offspring of David? What do they do when God, when God stands up and says, you've been commemorating my supply for your deepest Need, I have stood amongst you and I have shouted out with a loud voice, come to me if you're thirsty. And there's a lot of contemplating, but there's no coming. Just, they just, they just kind of sit there. They just kind of stand there. We will have to run forward and come to him. Come to his offer. It's like if I was to say, if anybody wants $5, come up here and I'll give it to you. And, and then you guys just sit there because like, that's what you do. You just sit there. But if anybody wants $5, come up here and I'll give it to you. <laughs> that's not fair. You saw those fibers on the kitchen table. <laughs> Lots of contemplating. No, no coming. Is that you? Is that you? That that you would sit there and think, I wonder when Christ says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and he will receive living waters coming from him. I wonder if when he says anyone, if that could mean me. I wonder. And you contemplate, but you don't come. You think, when he says, when Christ says, if anyone, would, if anyone thirsts, I wonder, that thirst that I have, the thirst that I know, the spiritual thirst for God that I have, when he says if anyone thirsts, I wonder if he could possibly mean my thirst will be quenched by the Spirit of God. I wonder. I contemplate that. But you don't come. The answer is yes. Yes. If, you, if anyone thirsts, let him come to him and drink, and rivers of living water will flow. Trust him. He means you. And there are others of you who would say, yeah, I've come to him. I've come to him before. Come to him before. I came to him when I was seven. And now I'm 43. And I get thirsty. I get like soul level, spiritually thirsty. I want you to make sure, I want to make sure you understand. Christ is not saying, if you come to me, 
you will never experience soul thirst again. He's saying, if you come to me, you never have to experience soul thirst again. I will give you rivers of living water and you can drink them, but you don't drink. You don't come to him. It's like you came to him when you were seven and then like coming back to the water in repentance and faith and communion. It's like, I get thirsty. I just get thirsty. I don't drink. If you've come to Christ, you don't have to stay thirsty. You can keep drinking. He's given you rivers of living water. He's given you the very Spirit of God, and you can commune with Him in repentance and faith. Go and drink. Go and drink. Meet with Him and drink. You've been there before. You know where He is. You know how to quench your thirst. It's the Spirit of God. Well, the fourth heart heart obstacle that we see, the fourth heart obstacle that we see, I would put it this way. Drop the hypocritical agenda and let Christ have his rightful place. Drop the hypocritical agenda and let Christ have his place. I mean, look at these guys. (laughs) Right there. In verses 40 through 52, I mean, really, in verse 43, you see there's a division among the people. We already just talked about kind of how they were just kind of like contemplating amongst themselves about whether or not this is the Christ. And some of them wanted to arrest him and no one laid hands on him. And then the officers say, the, the, the officers come to the chief priest and the chief priest are like, why didn't you bring him? And they said, no one ever spoke like this man. And they say, are you also deceived? which we can see is irony because they're deceived, right? They're blind. They're blind. They don't see Christ for who he is. Why? Why are they deceived? I think the passage gives us the answer at the end. Before it gets there, though, it steps through a series of ironies like, have any of the authorities here believed? Any authorities of the Pharisees? Of course, Nicodemus is sitting right there, right? And he had already come to Christ to talk with him. And when he came to Jesus, this is interesting that the passage is all about origin and understanding who Christ really is because of who he, where he came from. When, when Nicodemus came to Christ and he sat down to talk with Christ, what did he say? What was kind of like his opening thing? Do you remember? Any Bible drill people out here? Right. We know that you're a teacher come from God. We know that you're a teacher come from God. Have any of these authorities or Pharisees believed? No. But this crowd that doesn't know the law, except for they know that the Christ is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, well, I guess they know something. This crowd is accursed. And Nicodemus speaks up. He's like, okay, well, if we're going to talk about the law, maybe we should obey the law. Does our law judge a man first without hearing, without giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And, and, then, and then all is revealed, right? Then the shades are drawn open, right? And they say, ha, are you from Galilee too? 
they, they question Nicodemus's motives. You have dirty motives. This is a political thing for you. He's from Galilee. Are you from Galilee too? Well, why do they question his motives? Why do they think? Why do they think he's got dirty motives? Because they do. They won't see things for where, where they really are. They won't see Christ for who he really is or where he's really from because they've already got their mind made up. They've got a hypocritical agenda and they won't drop it. And so they're blind. And so they're blind. Actually reminds me of a guy I used to meet with for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. This is quite some time ago. I was living in Austin. I was going to a big Baptist church there. I was teaching Sunday school classes. And there's this guy in Sunday school. And he was literally throwing his wife and family away one weekend at a time. And I would meet with him at Subway. I don't even like to go to Subway anymore. Like, I can just smell those conversations as soon as I walk in. <laughs> right? Every Subway sound, smells the same. Um, these agonizing conversations where he would sit there, a professing believer, and he'd say, you know what, Christ just doesn't seem as beautiful to me as he does to you. Christ just doesn't seem as beautiful as the scriptures say. Christ is just, he's, I understand like I'm supposed to worship, but it's just not, I don't, I don't feel it. I, I don't see the adoration. Why? Because he, he wanted Jesus. He said he wanted Jesus. I think maybe his wife wanted Jesus for him. He wanted to be cool with Jesus. But he wanted his sin too. And hypocrisy says, Jesus died for me to sin. Right? The truth of the gospel is, Jesus died for my sins. Hypocrisy says, Jesus died for me to sin. And that's the hypocritical agenda he had, and he wouldn't drop it. Wouldn't drop it. And so he could not adore Christ. He couldn't see him as all beautiful and all to be treasured and glorious and to be worshipped. He couldn't put Christ in his rightful place so that Christ would put everything else in its rightful place. He wouldn't drop his hypocritical agenda. And some of, some of you were there. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you only have an inkling. But there, there's a thing there where you're, you don't really care who Christ is or what Christ wants. You just want what you want. Drop the agenda. And let Christ have his rightful place. Drop the hypocritical agenda to remain bitter against your spouse. Christ wouldn't have that. Christ in his rightful place dislodges that. Drop the hypocritical agenda to keep dishonoring your parents. Christ in his rightful place, he won't have that. You, it, it, he dislodges that. It's a hypocritical agenda to call him Lord and to cling to that. Drop the hypocritical agenda of continuing to take what doesn't belong to you 
and let Christ have his rightful place. And you might say, well, what will happen? What will the practical outworkings of this be if Christ has his rightful place? Whatever they are, they'll be his. They'll be his outworkings. Because if Christ is in his rightful place, if we have him by faith, adorationally, he will put everything else in its rightful place. Would you stand with me all over this place as we pray together?